Oh boy, it's good to be with you today. You know, I believe the church is the most important institution in the world. I, I do not believe that because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I believe that. The Bible calls the church God's house. We're going to talk today about what does it mean to live in God's house? The question that I want to pose to you today is this. How many of you are visitors to God's house? Which, you're welcome, by the way. We're glad. I like to have visitors in my life and in my home. We usually usually clean the house when we're going to have visitors. So visitors are really important. So if you're a visitor today, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. But I want to ask a question: How many of you are visitors to God's house, and how many of you are residents in God's house? Because I'm saved. Well, it's not, we're not talking about being saved. We're talking about being churched. The Bible says in Acts two, God added to the church those who were being saved. So I'm going to read this one verse, and we're going to talk about the house of God today, the household of faith, other way to say it. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are his house. Think about that. We are his house, built on the foundation of prophets. House, the house where God lives. And the cornerstone is Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, Through him, Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Boy, those are such profound words. It's hard for me not to just want to dig into that. But but I've got some really other things I need to say today, I believe. Uh, Do you want to hear about my first kiss? (laughs) I'm not talking about my parents kissing me on the cheek or the forehead. I'm talking about uh, kissing a girl on the lips. Sherry had to be called away today. wasn't able to be here, so I regret that. So, but, but, it, but I think the Holy Spirit planned that. <laughs> the girl's name was Latricia Maxville. She was an older woman. <laughs> Farmersville, Texas. It wasn't a romantic kiss. It was a domestic kiss. We were playing house, and I was headed out the door to work to go cook in my fictitious restaurant because that's what my dad did. And um, that's it. Nothing scandalous, nothing exciting, nothing romantic, none of that. We were just playing house. I was five and she was six or seven. <laughs> now fast forward 19 years. And there was another kiss. It was following the words of a pastor who said, the groom may now kiss the bride. Now, we weren't playing house. We were starting a household. And in fact, did, did we... Uh, oh, did, you, nobody, did nobody mention that we had a new arrival this week to this household? Uh, I think they got a picture back there. If, if they can switch over and show Francis William Coy. Can't, we can't do it, or we can't? Oh, there we go. Branson William Coy, eight pounds and a couple of ounces, one ounce or something like that. Same, almost identical size that Jason was when he was born. 
So he was born on Wednesday afternoon, I believe it was, and he's doing fine. So, yeah. So we have built, as you know, if you come here all the time, you're a visitor, you may not realize how many family, the McCutcheon family and Matson families around this church. We built a house. See, there's a, there's a big difference in intensity and engagement and collaboration and commitment when you're building a household and when you're playing house. There's a big difference in the rules. You, you don't go back to your own house from that kiss. Your house becomes our house. And when the kids come along, it becomes their house. You know, my satirical and sarcastic imagination conjures up a scene that has a spouse saying, Honey, let's pretend we're members of a church. Let's play church. Wouldn't it be fun? Well, have fun. But that's not a church. And that's not church membership. Now, the Bible calls the local church the household of God. I think you're going to hear that kind of language more used around here. We're going to talk about the house. We'll talk about the vision of the house because that's how God sees us. In fact, we read the word household, which is probably a little better word than house because when you think of house, you think of a building. You think of a, a ranch or a colonial or whatever, uh, split, a split ranch or split, you know, whatever. I don't even know. All, you, my, all the real estate agents know all the terms. But... Uh, Household, when I say household, you, you conjure an image of people, children, family, you know, mother, mother-in-law and father might live in the attached apartment you just built for them, and, and you're cooking and you're cleaning and you're paying bills, and it's a whole, it's a whole industry to run a household, Right? So let's read it. I am writing these things to you even though I hope to be with you soon so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. Household of God. I, it had to be a local household of faith and not merely the invisible global church of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people will tell you, I'm a part of the church, and they mean the global invisible church of Christ. But it, it cannot be... When he says, conduct yourselves in the household of God, he cannot be talking about the global, invisible church. He's got to be talking about a local assembly. It had to be a local household of faith, not merely the invisible global church of Jesus Christ. It has no meeting place, no set schedule, no assigned individual responsibilities, no collection point, no tithe and offering, none of that. Acts 7, 48, 49 has, says, however, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. But it doesn't say he doesn't dwell in a house. He just doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. And while the point is obvious that God doesn't live in houses made by hands, it more than implies that he lives in houses. And the scripture is clear about what these houses are where God lives. They are communities of believers who are seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and follow Jesus. Fragile people like us, people with problems, people with, with issues, people, people with, with, with still struggling with sin in our lives. But, but, we, but we have committed together to be the church of Jesus Christ. Imagine that the single institution that God calls his home is the church. Think about it. Let that sink in today. He, he could have said, I'm going to make my home in the world. I'm just going to be, I'm going to live in the world. 
<laughs> he could have said, I'm going to live in, in, in industry and, 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 and the institution of great finances. I, I'm going to live in the uh, 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 athletic institution. I'm going to live in, a, 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 in the academy. That's where mo- most many people think God lives. They, God lives in the universities. God lives at Yale and Harvard and Stanford. That's where God lives, and that's where he reveals his truth. He reveals his secrets. He reveals his secrets to the, to the academic and science community and, and those who study philosophy. No, no. God says, no, I'm not living there. I'm going to live with people who meet and sing songs every Sunday and take communion and pray for each other and preach the scripture and love each other and act like family. That's where I'm going to live. So, what does living in God's house means? mean? What does it mean? So, I'm going to give you like three things that it means to live in God's house. Number one, living in God's house means commitment. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not to neglect to meet. The word meet there is ecclesia, which is the same word that's translated church all over the New Testament. I'm going to meet in the church. See, when you leave here today, when you all go home today, that's not a church anymore. It's only a church when you're assembled, because you're the church. Let that sink in. Think about that the next time you want to stay home from church. <laughs> so don't neglect the habit of meeting together as some, as habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We sang about the day drawing near this morning. And I have more and more people this week have talked to me about the day drawing near. We're kind of giving up on the fact that humans, without God's help, are going to be able to have world peace that's going to last. When I was five years old, I was pretending. But what does it mean to really make your residence in the house of God? There's one word that answers that question, what it means to live in God's house, and that word is the word commitment. I heard a pastor named Mike, Mike Adams the other day relay the following. And when I first started hearing it, I thought, this guy's nuts. And maybe he is. He maybe he is nuts. I don't know him. But here's what he said. He's talking. He's in like an interview with this other woman, with, with a woman. He said, I, I'm going to tell you a story. And every woman listening to this is going to cringe. Okay, are you ready? He said. One day we're sitting down and I can sense Kelly's ready to get married. And I said, what if after we get married, I find someone better? (laughs) Yeah, it was horrifying. He said, all the women are gasping right now. And the interesting thing was, she goes, she goes, "Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, Mike, you will find something better, somebody better. He said, that's not the kind of response I was expecting. What kind of woman that am I marrying or thinking about marrying who says, oh, you're going to find someone better? He said, she said, of course that's going to happen. And I was like, what, what is she like? As she said, as we get older, there will be prettier, younger women. What you have to decide is if you want to be with one person for the rest of your life. You have to choose your choice. And she's like, now listen to this. Listen carefully. 
This is, this is, I think, important. I believe it's important. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. She said, you have to, here's what this girl said to him. You have to wake up every single day and choose me. And then you have to wake up the next day and choose me. She said, Mike, this is not just for marriage, but this is for anything great that you're ever going to do in your life. If you're going to endure and persevere and do big things in life, you have to choose your choice. I believe the greatest problem in doctrinally progressive churches, and if you don't know what that means, look it up. I believe the greatest problem in doctrinally progressive churches is that they have abandoned Scripture and sound doctrine. But the greatest problem in doctrinally conservative churches, like Bethany Community Church, is the insecurity created by the fact that we cannot count on people being there for us in the future. Now, some of this is created by the corporate job structure that makes moving a requirement for advancement. But most of it is created by a very mobile society that moves all the time and moves commitments all the time. I can't get into... I know many of you are here, and you left another church to come here, and we welcome you here. So I'm not, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to figure out. But I am saying that it, is very in, it creates great insecurity when you're always waiting for the shoe to drop in a congregation. You're always waiting. When are, they, when are they going to find out something or disagree with something and I'll never see them again? I don't totally know how to fix it. But I'm telling you, it's a problem. The problem started when they created the automobile. <laughs> and people could drive right past the church they didn't like, to go down the street to the one they liked, or, the, or 30 minutes away. Um, is Nancy me in here this morning? Yeah, she's on her way. She's on her way. I had coffee with Nancy yesterday morning. And what a sweet lady. Nancy's been my buddy for about 25 years. <laughs> and um, uh, years ago, see, Nancy was the person, I asked her for permission to tell this, by the way. I, after we talked yesterday, I texted her and said, can I tell that story about the day you came to my office? Because Nancy, when we, op- we got this idea of the blessing barn, and we had that little white building where Happy Place is, we put it in there. And I went to Nancy, I said, Nancy, I had no idea uh, what her thoughts were. I said, would you like to run the blessing barn? And she said, my whole life I've wanted to run a thrift store. And so she, and she was fantastic. She because my concern was if we just if we just create a place where people can get clothes and food, it's going to become a mess. It'll just be a junk room. After a while, we won't even want to go in there because it's going to be so messy. Because we'll just be throwing clothes in there and, and and it'll be a mess. But if I if we turn it into a retail establishment, then you'll have to keep everything orderly and we can pay somebody to do it. So that was Nancy, and she was fantastic because she kept everything neat as a pin. Now, <laughs> I think that became a problem, though, because you can't keep everything perfect. So I don't really know, and to this day, I don't really know what happened. But one day, Nancy quit. And I could never get her to really talk to me to explain why she quit. I, I kind of knew. I knew some things that I knew. I kind of knew. But So uh, time went on. I mean, time went on. Like, like probably two or three years went by. 
And they were still coming. Her, she and Ted, her husband, who's passed away and gone to be with the Lord, he, they were coming to church. And, but I could feel this distance from she and I because we weren't, we weren't buddies anymore, you know? And so I'm sitting in my office one day, and I, I, someone at the front desk said, someone's here to see you. So she comes in. She sits down, and she's got big tears in her eyes. She said, Ted and I were having devotions this morning. And he said to me, Nancy, we're not leaving Bethany Community Church. I think we're Bethany Assemblies of God then. We're not leaving Bethany. And I've come to make up with you. (laughs) It was one of the most sweetest, wonderful moments of my 35 years of ministry here. I cried, she cried, and we made up. And we settled. I don't even know what we settled. <laughs> we just settled this thing that, was, that she was upset about. And I was upset that she was upset. And I didn't want things to be that way. If, if we're going to really do what God wants us to do in this community, we've got to have a bunch of people who says, unless you, you know, there are reasons you should leave, by the way. There are reasons to leave a church. But unless I get one of those big reasons, Pastor, you're stuck with me. We're, we're getting ready to do something for God. That's, we're going to get ready to do something for God that pettiness will not work. Smallness won't work. And, I, and, and you know, I, Roy Hartherin was a, a well-known pastor. In, and and I wanna, I'm going to finish this sermon this morning, uh, even if we have to kind of abbreviate our prayer time at the end. I, I have to finish this sermon. Uh, Roy Harden was a big-time pastor down in Florida. I had a big church in Orlando years ago. And I remember going to hear him speak one time. He told a story. He said a woman called him up on the phone one day, and she said, Pastor Harden, I know I haven't been in church in six months, but I want you to know I'm still a part of the body. And he said, let me tell you. He's on the phone. He says, I tell you, take your little finger and wiggle it. And I guess we assume she did that, right? He said, now, if that finger disappeared for six months, would you think it was still a part of your body? (laughs) Commitment. That's what it means to live. If someone doesn't show up at your house, if you've got a family member, and you don't see them for six months or a year, or they drop in three or four times a year, you don't go, well, they're, they're part of this household. No, they may be, you may be related to them, but they're not part of your household. If they're part of your household, you have to look at their ugly face every day. <laughs> and all the mess they create, and you clean up after them, they clean up after you, and you have a fight every once in a while. And you, that's family, man. <laughs> I, heard a pastor, I heard a pastor a while back, he said, I do not preach for my church to be a family. He said, he said families fight. He said, I tell them, you're an army. <laughs> and I'm the general, I guess. He didn't say that. but <laughs> I think that's what he was going. Secondly, living in God's house means paying the price that connection demands. I want to hearken back to the Old Testament where Moses was building the, the first house of God, which was a tent. It was, a tent, it was called the tent of meeting. It says, so Moses gave an order, 
And they sent the word out through the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering to the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. That was people who were paying the price for the house of God. You know, somebody said to me one time, he said, Phil, if you preach on giving finances, you will run people off. But you won't run any givers off. <laughs> I've always remembered that. You won't run any givers off when you, when you preach on giving. And you know who likes for me to preach on giving the most? The givers. I can look around the room when I start talking about giving money. All the givers are smiling. Oh, do you tell them, Pastor? You know why? You, know why? you, you say, well, that's because they want, to, they want us to be as miserable as they are. No, no, they've, they've discovered the blessing. And I, I, if I, could, I could have them, I won't do it right now, but if we had the time, I would have the givers start tell you their stories. Because I've followed, I, I've been here long enough, I've followed your lives for 30 years, some of you. And I, I have seen the difference in those who believe that giving is something that is a part of their covenant with God and the blessing of God. And I'm not saying it's a, magic, a silver bullet, that you have no problems if you, I didn't say that. But if you, if you look at life through a telescope and not a microscope, you look at the long picture, they know, they know that that's a ble- they know the blessing that's there. I, I, we'll talk about that at another day, because I, don't, I, I want to talk about whether you understand, in modern English, the word household refers to a group of people who live together in a single dwelling and share common domestic responsibilities. Whether you understand it or realize it, Participate, contribute financially, otherwise. Bethany Community Church requires family-like commitment, support, participation in order to be viable. Now, let me just pull back the curtain and let you in. I'm going to let you in right now on the commitment and participation and serving that goes into just one event, the Sunday service. I'm going to show you right now what goes in to an hour and a half, whatever the length is, two hours, three hours, no, hour and 15, hour 30 minute service. I want to show you what goes in. By the way, the pattern of Sunday meeting was set by the early church. Sunday meetings was, Sunday meetings, by the way, are as biblically grounded as about anything I can think of. John 20, 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. First day of the week, Jesus showed up on Sunday. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. They come together to have church. Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day, and he kept on talking till midnight. <laughs> I love that verse. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Hey, we, we, don't, hey, we don't have to tee off till 2.03, Craig, so don't worry. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. I could give you a couple more verses if I want. Now, I'm going to start with Monday morning, and I'm going to read to you a script of what goes in to a Sunday service. This is just a Sunday service. I'm not talking about Compassion New England. I'm not talking about... um, our, our community groups that are functioning. I'm not talking about uh, the forum. 
Because about half of these things also go into creating the forum service on Wednesday night. I'm not talking about what's going to happen with creating discovery nights that we're, Bible discovery nights that we're going to have. I'm not talking about pastoral counseling. I'm not talking about premarital counseling, which I'm always in premarital counseling with somebody. I'm just talking about Sunday service. Okay, got it? You ready? Ready? Okay. On Monday morning, Emily Murray starts processing feedback from connection cards, BCC kids check-ins, prayer requests for the purpose of updating records, and assigning follow-up for the pastoral team. Shane Sullivan prepares the bank deposit and logs the information into our accounting database. This includes logging and individual giving for the purpose of year-end reporting. Pastor Phil, I start an idea page for next Sunday's sermon. Jay McCutcheon, I have a planning conversation for next Sunday's service and the sermon. I follow up on Sunday conversations on Monday with emails, calls. I follow up on those things uh, on Sunday. Shane Sullivan takes a call from me about an important matter that I forgot to do on Sunday, and, and I can't even remember what it was, but I know I forgot something, so he's got to first of all remember what I forgot and then <laughs> tell me. Uh, so, um, uh, Also, if, if there's any problems with building maintenance or equipment issue, Dan Moraes gets a phone call about taking care of the facilities because he's our facilities manager. Jeremy and Amanda Smith and the prayer partners start thinking and praying about next Sunday's service. And uh, any urgent prayer requests go out to the prayer partners. Mar Marilyn McCutcheon makes social media posts from yesterday's service. All the time she's thinking, why can't I do this for Stephen Fardick or Joel Osteen, who has nice, short, quippy statements, unlike Pastor Phil's. Josh Pilling posts the Sunday sermon. Well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I think, I think that's Tuesday. Josh Pilling posts the Sunday sermon in the podcast, and I start working on a rough draft for next Sunday sermon. Also on Tuesday, Shane Sullivan and Emily Rice continue putting information from the weekend into the database. And uh, on Wednesday, uh, on, so that, that happens on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the pastoral team meets for prayer. And much of our prayers related to connections made at this service and the next service and the needs that we discovered here on Sunday. Shane Sullivan sets up any new event registrations of, about Wednesday of every week to be announced the following Sunday in the in planning center. Jay and Shane uh, uh, start coordination of materials that might be needed for the Sunday service. That's on the, all these handouts and things that you're getting. On Thursday... The ministry team, including Megan Petty, Maxine Laguerre, Jay McCutcheon, Shane Sullivan, and Sherry McCutcheon, start sending out planning center invites to Sunday volunteers that you can ignore because they're just, they're just trying to stay busy. <laughs> Jeremy and Amanda Smith and prayer partner start giving out prayer partner assignments to make sure of what prayer partners are going to be here and which ones are going to be praying and I complete a rough draft of the sermon. Shane prepares graphics for the Sunday sermon title after harassing me to give him the title. And sometimes I don't get him to it until Friday morning, but I try. And he posts to social media that day. After this, he, he reminds me again that he needs the title so he can post it to social media. Uh, Shane prepares a YouTube, YouTube link for the Sunday morning uh, live stream. On Friday, Maxine does more. I, I think I skipped over Maxine Laguerre on Thursday. Starts preparing for BCA kids. I think BCC kids. I think I missed that. You see, there's so much here. I can't keep it straight. Uh, 
on Friday, uh, uh, Maxine does more Propel for BCC Kids service. Megan Petty sends out happy place requests for parents' sign-ups because she has to know who's coming. Marilyn McCutcheon makes social media posts relating to the upcoming Sunday service. Jay McCutcheon starts song prep for Sunday, Sunday service. Now, now we're getting to Saturday. Saturday, Jay McCutcheon, Saturday, uh, uh, Saturday, I write the final draft for the sermon. And I send out the sermon notes to the Portuguese language translation, live translation team, which is Christine Romero and Nicholas Arruda. Uh, Maxine does her final setup for Peace Kids for, for PCC Kids. Megan Petty comes over and spends about four or five hours setting up the happy place on Sunday. Uh, Dan Marais, John Oliver, and the facilities team get the building clean and get the building ready for Sunday service, including uh, dealing with any pressing mechanical issues. Sherry McCutcheon confirms hospitality volunteers, including parking attendants, greeters, and ushers. Perry, Bill, Val Perry shops for supplies for Aunt Sandy's, and she restocks. That's Saturday. Sunday. I get up at 4 or 4.30 a.m. and I make final changes to the sermon. And I will, you know, Shane has to deal with me saying, oh, I need to change that projection. Do I need to change this to this, to that, the other? And he's very gracious to do it. Uh, the production team arrives early for everything technical. That's a production team that's all in the back right now. The worship band arrives early to begin to practice. Maxine and Megan arrive early. Maxine checks the nursery to make sure everything is there. They all come to get ready. And then they hear from all the people who, who are actually at Disney World who signed up to serve and, and uh, uh, who, are, who, are, who are signed up to serve, but they're on their way to their second cousin removed child's graduation party that they forgot to mention, forgot to think about when they signed up. And then Mike Sutton and the security team arrive early to check exits, entrances, and building conditions, kind of police the building. Finally, all of you beautiful volunteers arrive before service and begin to make your stations ready. Hospitality, greeters, ushers, parking lot, BCC kids, nursery, happy place. All of these people, I believe there's 40 people, Spend their Sunday focus on ministry. I'm sure they, they thank you. All these people spend their Sunday focusing on ministering to you. So you will in, enjoy the worship and the music and the word that's preached and be able to fellowship with one another and meet new friends. And you know what? As, we, as I shared all this with Jay and Shane, and they were even, we were all like, wow, we didn't know that that much was going into it either. And you know what Jason said? He said, but we really enjoy doing it. Amen. I love this story. I love this story, John Oliver. I've told it many times, but it's one of my favorite stories. Um, you know, I, I'm going to say something that, that, that just needs to be said. And nobody's going to get offended because we all know it's true. We all know that beside the word servant and beside the word faithful in the dictionary is Val Peary and John Oliver's picture. <laughs> we all know that, right? And I remember seeing John come down the hall one day and he's got a big smile on his face. And I said, John, what's going on? 
He said, I got paint out of carpet. (laughs) (laughs) A little girl said to me one time, uh, she said, Pastor Phil, she's about nine years old. She said, Pastor Phil, do you ever work? (laughs) She said, uh, and she didn't give me time to answer. She said, all I ever see you do is standing around. You know, and, 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 you know, if you read Apostle Paul, if you read his writings, there's these places where he would actually tell people how much he did. And, and I've always been uncomfortable with that, but sometimes people need to know. They need to know, they need to know what they're, they're paying for. <laughs> you know? And so th- this week I had, um, I see Sunday night, I had dinner with the community group leaders, which was wonderful. We, we enjoyed it. It didn't feel like work. Tuesday night, uh, premarital counseling on Tuesday night. I had two individuals this week that just needed somebody to talk to them. And, and by the way, I enjoyed every minute of all of that. I'm, so I'm not complaining. What I'm trying to get across to you is this church business is a real deal. This church business is serious. This church business is intense. And, and there's some people in this room who really care they, and they really care about you. And it makes their day when you show up on Sunday morning, even if you didn't do any of that work, even if you didn't even give in the offering, they're so glad to see you. Finally, well, well the, the, the last part, <laughs> the last part is that, the, that I wrote is the staff are the last to leave because they stayed to connect with all of you Listen, talk, get to know what's going on in your lives. And uh, the production team has to clear stuff off the, their equipment off the stage. Maxine and Megan have to clean up their spaces and get ready for the other things that are going to happen in those rooms during the week. And I go to my car and I sit and I start worrying about what I should have said, what I shouldn't have said, who I left confused. Who I left offended and unloved in my sermon. That's seriously, I, I, I'm not healthy. I, I just, <laughs> I, I, you're a, you know, I need to come and have a session with you. But. <laughs> you're free? You're free. <laughs> Finally, living in God's house means you embrace the value of being a part of something bigger than yourself. So in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to the others, Romans 12, 5. The beauty, someone said, the beauty of living in God's house is recognized that we are not just individual bricks, but integral parts of a grand and glorious temple united in purpose and love. Imagine a majestic cathedral. I love to look at pictures of European cathedrals. And I love to visit them And when I've had the chance in times past. And I was thinking about this as I thought about bringing the sermon to a close. I thought about, you know, if you went to one of these amazing temples, and some of you visited those, you know, St. Peter's Basilica, I've been there, and uh, some other places, and, and you visit them, and, and they're made out of these enormous stones, you know, that they put together. But if you took one of those stones, and you, it wasn't in the edifice, it was just laying out in a field somewhere, <laughs> you know, this this 
you would go, eh, that's a rock. You would go, that's ugly. That ain't beautiful. You wouldn't go, what a beautiful rock. You wouldn't, believe, you wouldn't get home and go, you wouldn't believe. I, I drove down the street today and I saw this, honey, I looked over in a field and I saw this rock. It's, and it was so gorgeous. It was so majestic. Maybe we should put a rock in our yard. Just, just put one in the front yard because they're, they're so beautiful. No. It's, not only, it's only beautiful when craftsmen join it to other rocks and they place it perfectly. And you don't go by and go, ooh, that's a good rock. There. <laughs> you go, what a beautiful temple. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's Bethany Community Church. The thing I don't like about celebrity pastor thing is it tends to take one, one stupid rock and saying, that's incredible. No. It's what we are together that's beautiful. I just have this one area, hopefully, I, I, I'm deluded at least to think it's a skill that I have to give a sermon. And so don't, don't I'm, I'm too old for you to... Uh, Try to tell me differently. I'm, I'm almost done, so let me let me let me dream on. But I'm I'm just one person with an assignment. Uh, let's put it that way, with an assignment from God. But I'm not the church. I'm not. I'm just one of the rocks. I'm just one of the bricks. I'm only beautiful when we're together. I'm only beautiful. Imagine I'm here by myself giving this amazing sermon. You would, you know, after a while, Sherry would have me committed. He's going over there and preaching to an empty building, imagining that he's doing this grandiose thing. You know, that, that's called narcissism. Visions of grandiosity. No. No. John Stott tells the story of a famous preacher years ago about a Scottish minister who a member of his church had not been coming to church for weeks and weeks. And he, it was the winter time. He goes over to his house and the fire's burning. He goes in, they sit down in the living room in front of the fire. The pastor doesn't say anything. He just gets the tongs. He goes over and he takes one of the embers and he sets it on the hearth. Sits back down. Just waits. All those embers that are in the fire are glowing, they're hot. That one that's on the hearth just gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. He waited till he'd completely gone out and then he got up and left. Next Sunday, the guy was back in church. <laughs> See, you cannot develop yourself spiritually to the degree that God intends apart from others. That is why finding a community and committing to it is one of the most important spiritual steps you can take. Apart from life and community with other believers, you can't practice the one another's that are at the heart of the Bible and the community. The rise of the self-esteem movement, you see, was based more on a hypothesis than evidence. The end of the 20th century brought the long-term studies of, of the self-esteem movement and all the, you can go read the articles yourself, they found out it didn't work. It didn't work just to tell people 
they were, were great and to indoctrinate children from childhood that their self-esteem was the most important thing in their life. And self-esteem is important, of course, to some degree. But self-esteem had little positive effect on individuals. For many, it even had a negative effect. What single quality was most identified with satisfaction and well-being? In 1995, Roy Barmaster in Florida State University published a substantial article demonstrating that the healthiest, most satisfied individuals in the world are people who have a place to belong. In other words, our deepest satisfaction comes not from achieving personal autonomy, but through acceptance into unconditional love and unbreakable belonging to people who are committed to us and we are committed to them. Here's what we're going to do. I always want to offer prayer to those who need prayer. That's why we're, we're here to serve. If we're here just to, you, could hear, you can go hear a sermon on the internet. But I want our prayer partners to come. I'm going to dismiss you momentarily. And, uh, but I'm going to have the prayer partners be here so you can come down after dismissal and be prayed for. And I hope you will avail yourself of these people. They're fantastic. They text me. We're in a text group, and we text back and forth all week praying for you and your needs. We're going to start collecting testimonies because we've had some marvelous testimonies of answer to prayer already. So we want you to know that's really important. So let's stand, and I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. I know that most of you in this room, maybe 100%, but at least 99%, you've prayed about your relationship with God. And that is the number one priority. I want you to go today and I want you to pray about your relationship with other believers. I want you to ask God to show you where he wants you to fit in. You know, listen, remember that verse we, we use in the, in the, in the uh, reception? God, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the members in the body. I seriously, and I don't, I don't like for anyone to walk away. Well, there was that one guy, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe that God has a place for you. And uh, I, I would hate for anyone to go and not come back. But seriously, if you believe God is calling you somewhere else, then I want you to go there. I want you to go to that other church where you're being called to. But figure out just like you, you needed to figure out where you were going to spend your career, where you were going to go to college, who you were going to be married to, if you're going to be married at all. Just like you had to figure, you had to figure out what house you were going to buy, where you were going to live. You had to figure all those things out. You got to figure out who your doctor is. You need to figure out who your attorney is. You need to figure out who your financial manager is. You need to figure out what country you want to live in. You need to decide what church God has called you to. And I hope it was Bethany Community Church. I really do. But I want you to go today praying about that and asking God to reveal to you where in this world he has placed you to belong. God bless you. Don't forget to come forward for prayer if you need it. All right?